It's now time to go around the nation in Division Three football. And here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Welcome back to the podcast. We appreciate you downloading us and giving us a listen as we talk about a pretty wild week three of the 2016 Division Three football season. This is the Around the Nation podcast for September 19th, 2016. And uh, let's see, there's uh, the blowout and the aftermath and then the reevaluating. Coaches and players at Linfield are going to reevaluate here over the next couple of weeks, as will coaches everywhere uh, would after a tough loss. But what uh, Keith and I will do as analysts is reevaluate some of our early season takes on key games and see what new information we get from some of these new results. That's coming up in a minute. But uh, first, let's talk about that amazing cluster of a game Saturday night in Belton, Texas, when uh, then number five Mary Harden Baylor crushed. Number three, Linfield, 66-27. So many details we could throw in here, but let's go straight to what Linfield coach Joe Smith and quarterback Sam Riddle said after the game. Yeah, this one will bother us for a while. Until so, we see him again. Until we see him again someday. So, um, you know, and that's good. I think that's, that's natural. It's healthy. You, know, you, want, you want to um, learn, from, learn from what's your own. Of course, Mary Harden Baylor had to deal with similar feelings and soul-surging this past offseason after Linfield rallied in the fourth quarter and ended the Crews' playoff run. Their soul-searching took place this past January and settled on one key spot, which Coach Pete Fredenberg talked about after the game. We, I, think, I think we as a, as a, 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 a group, our leadership, uh, really, really got together and... Um, why did we lose the ball game? You know, why did we lose the ball game? It's really because we we, we lost some focus. We we were, had some individuals instead of a team, and we really addressed it. And I I just I can't say enough about the leadership and the guys that have stepped up, and uh, that that's the most incredible thing. And you know, I just we saw a quote this 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 week. Urban Meyer said, you know, well, you can win seven or eight with good talent, and you can, might push it to nine with discipline. But uh, great leadership is when the magic happens. And we had a little magic tonight, and that was awesome. And Keith, in this case, the Wildcats have some time to lick their wounds. Uh, They have a bye week coming up again this week. That's their second in the first four weeks of the season. And then they host Lewis and Clark after that. So let me ask you, uh, how much time do you take after a loss like this, do you think, to do that type of uh, introspection? And and I still have this posted here on my desk from last week about the five stages of grief after a loss. Maybe that's what this is all about. Well, you know, to answer the question, Pat, I don't think there's a right answer necessarily, but I think it it it, it uh, comes from the coaching staff, and it's really up to them to decide um, which way they want to play it. And there's usually two ways the coaching staff will play it. One is they they want to flush it as quickly as possible. You almost you know you you say forget about that one. It was just a bad game. Everything went wrong, and uh, you know we don't want to talk about it. We just get focused on the next one. And then the other option is. Um, is to really drill deep into what happened, what went wrong, and and how to correct it, and how to correct it quickly. And uh, a lot of times, that means that the coaching staff spends maybe longer on that on that tape review or video review than they normally would uh, on a given week. And so maybe it means um, you know your tendency reports and your your game plan for the next week is coming out a little late. In Linfield's case, they don't have a game this week, so they, so they'll probably do the latter. And they'll really take a good, hard look at at what happened against UMHB. And there'll be some things they can correct immediately. And there'll be some things that they may not have to really address until they play another opponent of that caliber. But um, but they'll file those things away for later. And I think, you know, for Linfield, the players, you really just um, 
you know, you, you wash that taste from your mouth probably as quickly as possible. You get ready for practice the next day. And, the, you know, you want to hang on to that feeling. And I think this is what, what uh, bo- both, both uh, Riddle and, and Joe Smith were saying uh, in that clip that you played is that, you know, it's, it's healthy to, to feel a certain way after you lose because that's that's where the the seeds of motivation for you to go back to the drawing board and get get um you know to improve at the things you 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 weren't good at um that's where that motivation comes from so it's good to have that and you don't want the players to wash that away too quickly but you do want them to wash away the 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 um part where they cling on to it too much and then they can't um grow because you know ultimately you have to turn around and play another game pretty soon a little bit about the game itself in case you miss our coverage as the game kind of went off the rails on Saturday night. It was a tight game at the half with UMHB leading 24-20. And I really thought the storyline of the game was going to turn out to be the dynamic running and passing of Blake Jackson. That's the the crew's quarterback. Uh, But lack of discipline and missed tackles in the middle of the field cost the crew in the first half. Uh, They committed 10 penalties, uh, gave up a lot of opportunities over the middle of the field, that sort of thing. Then Bryce Wilkerson returned the opening kickoff of the second half for a score. And then the crew picked off Sam Riddle twice. Baylor Mullins returned one of those the distance for a touchdown. Uh, Linfield got all snap slaptastic, and it uh, snowballed into a 66-27 game. It was a point, Keith, where um, you know uh, Mary Harden Baylor uh, was backed up, uh, and Linfield's starting center went out with an injury. They had an opportunity to go in and and uh, take the lead. Instead, bad snap, fumble. Mary Harden Baylor drives 93 yards the other way, and it becomes an 11-point game in the other direction. And that was a game, uh, a point that uh, Joe Smith really talked about. It was really close, and it was anybody's ball game up until that moment, at least. Yeah, and those are the things that when when Linfield goes back and looks at this game, they'll um, they'll say those are the things we can clean up. And if we see each other again down the road in the postseason, as they have previously, you know, you can almost count on those things, or you you won't necessarily. Uh, expect those things to happen again, the bad snaps. Um, you know, you look at the the plays that were nominated for play of the week, great plays by Mary Harden Baylor, but also, you know, you have a, you have a, a, a bad snap by Linfield that gets it started. And none of that happens if, if you get the basic part down correctly. And, and I think that's for, for those of us who vote in the poll or who are looking at this thing from afar, I think that's probably one way to, to take a look at it before we freak out about the score. Let's keep in mind, that Linfield didn't have to play this game. Uh, Mary Harden Baylor didn't didn't have to play this game. They could have played Southern Oregon and, and Southwest Assemblies of God and, and chalked up another win or a non Division three opponent, and uh, and wouldn't have wouldn't have affected their playoff chances at all. Um, although you know, as long as the the automatic qualifiers in play, both teams uh, still uh, still right in line for uh, for a playoff bid. But the fact that they've chosen to play a, a top five opponent in September, I think we should each uh, give them credit for that. And so, I, as I went back and, and reevaluated, and that's going to be the the buzzword for this week's podcast. You know, as I thought about uh, what I wanted to do in the top five and where I wanted to to drop Linfield to, you know, I, I felt like I did have to give both sides. Uh, credit for even taking this game because you know you look at some of the other results in the top 10 uh, or even the top 15 on on Saturday and you have your 59 sevens and your you know your your 44 zero type of games and those they may they may help they may be fun for the team that wins but they don't help us evaluate what the real strength of the team is going to be or, or what the whole picture looks like nationally 
Yeah, and so that's a game we'll probably end up revisiting multiple times over the course of the season, and and that's what we do, what we have to do in order to try to make sense of a season where you only play 10 games and cross-country contests like this one are pretty rare. In fact, uh, let's see, this week we're already reconsidering some of the truths that we uh, previously held to be self-evident. Case in point, if you're a Utica fan, say, you know, you're only looking at your own team. You know, you've gone 3-0 and with a win over Ohio Northern, which was a ranked team, and you want to be in the top 25. And that's not a hypothetical. That was actually something on Twitter yesterday. Uh, problem is, of course, Ohio Northern continued to play football, and Utica's 34-30 to win versus the Polar Bears last week doesn't look nearly as impressive now that Ohio Northern lost to Heidelberg on Saturday, 45-14. Yeah, and then, you know, you have uh, Heidelberg, which was uh, you know, had a two-point loss to Cortland in its opening game, and then and obviously bounced back pretty well that they were served well by having a uh, having two weeks to to get ready for uh, ONU but um you know Heidelberg is a team that you know maybe we're considering as a top 25 team if uh if if they pull out the Cortland game and I think having that cross play um with the Heidelberg and Cortland result and the Utica uh Ohio Northern result between the Empire 8 and the OAC gives us some uh some results that we can really kind of crunch when it comes time to rank the conferences when it comes time to, to figure out who's, uh, who's going to do what in postseason. Here's another little tangle of teams to try to unravel, uh, which uh, games which maybe meant something different in weeks one and weeks two. Now, maybe not so, not, you know, that you don't reevaluate them the same way. Delaware Valley and Wesley, right? Delaware Valley with the, uh, what we termed an upset on uh, the Friday night of the first week. Um, you know, tie Wesley then to Christopher Newport. CNU beat them on Saturday. Um, we thought CNU was pretty good, uh, based in part on them beating Hampton Sydney, but now Hampton Sydney is 0 3. And there's that, that whole little tangle again games that we thought were important, teams that we thought were pretty good. And, you know, I, I still think Wesley is pretty good. Um, I'm not so sure about Hampton Sydney, but neither of those games has the significance that we thought they did when they were initially played. No, and really what what the danger is early in the season as we evaluate is we so much of our impression is built on what a team did in a previous season or what their their name recognition or their history is like and it, it's sort of incumbent upon us to once we start seeing some results to really give teams credit for what's actually happened so far in 2016 and not what we thought was going to happen or what's happened in previous seasons. So yeah, that that week 1 uh, result Del- Delaware Valley beating Wesley looked like a, a big, big upset, like a monumental upset. And and now you see Wesley turn around and get beat even worse by Christopher Newport. And then, you know, as a voter, I have to question, did, does Delaware Valley even belong in the top 25? Because um, that, that 21-14 win, you know, you put it next to the 40-42-28 win from, by Christopher Newport against Wesley. And, uh, and the other two results from DelVal you know, beating Kings in Misericordia, um, those aren't things that would catapult a team into the top 25. So, so yeah, I mean, as results come down, um, we certainly have to, to kind of rethink what, we, what we've made of teams. You know, the Hampton-Sydney thing I think is surprising because even beyond though them not having Nash Nance anymore, them not having a high-profile sort of quarterback wide receiver combination as they've had really for for almost nonstop for for 10 years you know Hampton City not just where it falls in this this triangle square rectangle with with Delval Wesley and Christopher Newport um but losing to to Averett and Ferrum teams that they probably have on their schedule um 
you know, because they're, they're short trips and because they're games that they usually win, suddenly uh, they lose those and they haven't even started ODAC play yet. That four-sided thing, I think we're just going to call it a quadrilateral. I'm not going to try to decide which sides are equivalent and which sides are even. Um, my sixth grader brought her geometry homework to me with a question the other day, and I had to tell her, I said, okay, I can help you with this, but you have to understand, uh, next year, I'm out. I'm not able to help you with anything beyond some of that basic geometry stuff. Um, I don't know. Yeah, quick aside. Anyway, uh, one last little... Um, I don't even know if this is just a line, I guess, at the moment, um, because it's uh, something that hasn't fully developed yet. But uh, we gave a lot of credit to East Texas Baptist for beating Texas Lutheran early on. And, um, yeah, other teams have beaten Texas Lutheran also. Yeah, that's probably right in that group of, of surprising 0-3 teams. You know, I would add Bethel to the list. Um, the the big thing is is kind of the similar thing that you had to do with uh, with Delaware Valley, which is you give them credit, you know, for for week one win. This is East Texas Baptist I'm talking about, right? Week one, 44-20 at Texas Lutheran. They they score 85 points in week two against uh, Southwestern uh, Assemblies of God. And then they play Southwestern, our, D, our D3 version of Southwestern, uh, this past week, and, and they win 33-23. Um, so East Texas Baptist is 3-0, and and you thought that win at Texas Lutheran was a top 25 caliber or you know fringe of the top 25 type of victory and then you see what uh what texas lutheran has done since then they've fallen to 0 and three and now that week one win uh just just doesn't look as uh impressive and it's not just falling to 0 and three texas lutheran it's uh this past week losing by 30 at louisiana college so certainly they're off to a tough start doesn't get any easier for them easier they go to harden simmons next week before we go to break i'm going to take uh another I think we're going to call this thing a two-minute warning. I, I took a little two-minute aside last week to talk about something, and I just have some extra stuff. If I had maintained a notebook at Mary Harden Baylor, this would be stuff that is in my notebook. But, uh, you know, I was at Mary Harden Baylor a few years ago when they first opened this brand-new stadium, uh, dubbed the Cathedral, the Crusader Stadium. Of course, the uh, fantastic best uh, stadium in Division Three, at least from a, a – building perspective and um and that sort of thing uh probably better than any division two stadium that i had laid eyes on at any point either um but the student union across the way is open now the uh named after the former president of the school jerry bauckham who we've mentioned a few times on this podcast um just the game day stuff going on around mary harden baylor was uh was super impressive now that all that stuff is on campus and they're not going off campus to play at belton high school um, you get all this stuff uh, like in the student union. I'd say probably about two hours before game time, uh, the entire marching band uh, marches into the lobby uh, along with the cheerleaders. Uh, fans are all there. The band plays, uh, you know, fight song, alma mater, etc. Team walks out to the uh, stadium. Cheerleaders uh, cheer, that sort of thing. Um, just a, a really impressive stuff going on on game day. Uh, on campus there at uh, Mary Harden Baylor. And one other thing I have to mention, Keith, the last couple of times I've seen UMHB, um, I've, you know, uh, we've, we've seen Coach Pete Fredenberg talked with him after the game, and I thought, I don't know how long this guy's going to keep coaching. You know, he's, he's getting up there. He's been the only coach that, uh, you know, that they've had. Um, and, but he always looks so worn out and so tired, and it was nice to see in September when, you know, he's got some energy, he's got some spring in his step. I saw him walking through the uh, 
walking through the student union about three hours before game time. And I thought, oh, wow. Yeah, he looks good. And then I realized, well, yeah, we probably all feel better in September than we do in December because uh, by the time you get to the end of 14, 15, 16 weeks, we all look about uh, you know 10 years older, I think, than when the season started. Is that your two-minute alarm? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I, I agree with that point overall. In fact, one of my favorite things about the Stag Bowl is that um, – you know, we wrap up the season and then you can go home and spend the holidays with your family and it doesn't drag out into January that, um, you know, you do get every single Saturday. You know, we feel like, man, we're traveling or we're watching games going hard. Imagine if you're you're coaching them, you're, you're exhausted on Saturday. Then, you you know, you, you open up the, the the game video and you go through that and you put a game plan together for the next week. It's a nonstop grind. For, for the coaches. And, you know, you mentioned Coach Fredenberg uh, started the program at Mary Harden Baylor in 98, was a successful uh, Texas high school coach before that. So um, it, it's been a long, long run for him. But yeah, I imagine, I, I imagine everything looks a little better when it's on campus, when your team's winning, when it's September and, and you, you beat a, a top five team in your, in your own place and a, and a team that kind of had your number in the past few playoffs. Kind of indeed. We're going to go to break, but uh, I'd like to take this time to remind you that the Around the Nation podcast is currently sponsored by Nobody. You could be reaching an audience full of decision makers in Division Three football, uh, coaches who need new equipment, software, uh, influence decisions to replace turf, all sorts of things by sponsoring the Around the Nation podcast. Keith and I would be waxing poetic about your product right here before we go to break. And so think about it. Drop me an email at pat.coleman at d3sports.com. And I want to point out, it's not just the current podcast, the one that we're recording right now. And actually, this is for you to know too, Keith. It's not just this one that gets listened to. Uh, we've actually had 140 separate podcasts that people have played and downloaded since June. And uh, in that time, more than 6,000 total listens to uh, various episodes. So if you're not uh, sponsoring this podcast, and currently all of you out there are not sponsoring this podcast, you're just missing it. All right, time to dive into game balls, and I'm going to pull a Keith McMillan here and hand out three of them. Um, maybe maybe three's not enough. Maybe to have a full Keith McMillan, I have to have five or six. I don't know. But I'm going to give them all to Hope College running backs, and that's because each of them ran for more than 156 yards and at least two touchdowns for the running Dutchman, I'm going to call him that now, and a 57-28 win versus Concordia Chicago on Saturday. Let's see. Brendan Campbell ran for 185 yards and three touchdowns on 27 carries. Mike McClusichak added 178 yards and two scores and just 19 carries. And Bruce Schrader, the quarterback, with 21 carries for 156 yards and three scores, uh, plus a kneel down at the end of the game for a total of 518 rushing yards. Hope didn't run this type of offense in the first two games, but then again, those two games only resulted in nine points. Uh, I could have made this my off-the-beaten-path highlight, Keith, but then again, these three beat a path pretty relentlessly on Saturday. The running Dutchman, I like that one. Uh, my game balls, I'm going to give mine to the teams that played the biggest games on Saturday. Usually we like to spread the wealth, as you did there with uh, with Hope, and, and you know, make sure everyone across the nation gets their due. But this was such a huge weekend of games uh, that I want to reward the, the teams that played their best when the spotlight shone brightest. The game ball candidates, 
and I'll pull a me, I guess, if that's what we're, we're doing now. That's what we're calling it. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm going to nominate a few, and then I'll pick one. Um, the, the candidates are North Central's defense for holding Illinois Wesleyan to one of 11 on third and fourth down and uh, intercepting six passes in a 34-7 win. Uh, Mary Harden Baylor's defense for scoring two defensive touchdowns plus the special teams touchdown you mentioned, all in the second half and holding Linfield to one yard rushing. The final total on that was like 335 to one uh, on, on the ground. Uh, Thomas Moore's defense is also a candidate. They held uh, Washington Jefferson to 204 yards of offense and nine points a week after they scored 65, most of those in the first half. Uh, plus Thomas Moore's defense scored a touchdown. There's also Christopher Newport's defense. You notice the theme here? Uh, Chris, Christopher Newport's defense... Recovered three Wesley fumbles in the second half of that 42-28 shocker. Uh, Hobart's defense, which had six sacks and limited Ithaca to 2.5 yards per play, and averaged that. You don't have to be a, a college math major to, to realize that won't get you many first downs. And the Bombers didn't get many first downs. They were 5 of 22 on third and fourth. I'm going to pick uh, Mary Harden-Baylor from those group of defensive nominees for my game ball because it was facing the best opponent and had the gaudiest performance. But they were really all game ball-worthy defensive outputs. So I'm supposed to notice the common thread is what? Hmm. They, were all, they were all defenses. I'm, ah, I'm pretty sure. Ding! Oh, yes. Way to play along there, Pat. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, you bet. Uh, when I was talking with Fredenberg after the game, I said, I- I'm hesitant to say anything about your defense because usually uh, that's what Keith is for. Um, and I think that's a question and an answer that's not going to make the cut in the podcast, so I apologize. Um, let's see. Uh, talking about uh, teams on the rise in the poll. Um, I'm going to start at the other end of the poll from where we've been talking about so far, and that's to welcome Central at uh, number 25 back to the D3Football.com top 25 for the first time since the poll that we released on November 8th of 2010. Uh, that was an interesting poll also that week uh, in that week's poll, but not in our current one. Let's see. Trine was number 14. Coe was 15th. Cal Lutheran was 17th. Pacific Lutheran, 19. And uh, Montclair State was at 23. Plus, there were a few teams in that poll which have been uh, ranked recently in our poll but aren't contenders this week. Uh, so, yeah, some things do change. And, uh, yeah, others don't. Wisconsin Whitewater, Mount Union, St. Thomas, North Central, Mary Harden Baylor were all in that poll's top 10 and, are, of course, are also in the top 10 today. That's half of the top 10. Well, yeah, for my riser in this week's poll, I think you do stay in the top 10. Obvious, Mary Harden-Baylor is one, but how far they rise matters uh, where, where you had them to begin with. I happen to have them number two already and, and just had to bump them up one spot after, uh, after beating Linfield. You know, Mount Union, Linfield, St. Thomas were all better than Mary Harden-Baylor last year, but as I evaluated the top five at the, at the start of this season, um, and, and the first through the first couple of weeks, uh, Wisconsin Whitewater and Mary Harden Baylor had the most back among those those top five teams. And I think those were clearly clearly the best five uh, coming in. You know, you may make a case for for Wisconsin Oshkosh as well. You know, likewise, uh, in further down the pole there in the middle, St. John Fisher didn't rise much for me because I already had them fifteenth. But for a lot of voters. Um, you know, the the win over Cortland State helped them uh, jump up. St. John Fisher actually went from uh, 21 to 16 overall. The big riser, though, in the poll is Franklin, which by virtue of its week one win over Thomas Moore and Thomas Moore's week three handling of Washington and Jefferson 
gets to move up. Anywhere Thomas Moore goes, Franklin needs to be one step ahead unless Franklin loses. Now, if the teams had played drastically different competition, that statement might not hold water. But for now, three weeks into the season and two weeks after Franklin's head-to-head victory over Thomas Moore, it does hold water. I got one last riser for you. Christopher Newport is in my top 25 now. So if we're talking about historical teams that have, have been in the top 25 uh, years back and uh, haven't been in there for a while, um, Christopher Newport moves on to my ballot. And, and, and I think that fits with the whole theme of this week's podcast, which is reevaluating and looking at what we've seen so far these three weeks this season and not just what we expected to see. Yeah, Franklin versus Thomas Moore is a tough one, man. I I just I wish Franklin had been anything resembling competitive against Butler. It just drives me crazy that uh, they went and uh, they they uh, lost fifty nine to ten the next week. That just took a little bit of the shine off of it for me, and it made me think that you know maybe those teams could already have uh, turned the opposite direction, which is why I don't think I have Thomas Moore uh, behind Franklin in my poll, and it's not that way in the top twenty five, but only by a couple of spots. Um, looking at teams taking a fall uh, at uh, in the poll and, and uh, in among all the rest of the upheaval in the top 10, maybe a little bit less noticed, not as much talked about so far as the swap between the two CCIW teams with North Central, uh, North Central supplanting Wheaton. Wheaton falls one spot, but, you know, Linfield fell as well. So that actually is like a significant amount of ground that the Thunder have lost. That Wheaton North Central game doesn't come up for a while, so this could flip back around, but, you know, Wheaton took a while to put Benedictine away in week one, then they crushed Kalamazoo in week two, uh, and won a close one versus Carthage this week. I, I wonder if they think that rotating quarterbacks one per week is actually working for them, because it seems to be, uh, they seem to be pretty inconsistent from week to week right now. Yeah, and, and that's another group of teams, I think that's, the results are hard to read, and they'll make more sense later. Benedictine, Wheaton, Carthage. Carthage also beat Bethel. You know, all those things will, will start to sort out. But uh, where we sit right now, you know, you, you do have kind of a hard time trying to judge them. Uh, Wheaton, obviously still a, a top 25 team in, in the upper half of the top 25 for almost everybody. Teams that will take a fall. Wesley's an obvious one. And the voters agreed as Wol- the Wolverines dropped out of the poll for the first time in a long time. I don't have the same research department uh, as you have there, apparently, <laughs> Pat, as I didn't, I didn't bother to dig so far back. I, I would guess 2005 is probably the last time Wesley wasn't ranked in the top 25. I believe, but, uh, I believe that's correct, uh, but I didn't do the research either. Uh, Sean Green from WDEL posted that to Twitter, and I took his word for it. Well, there you go. Yes, must give credit where it's due. I don't have any credit to give because I didn't actually do the research. I just, I, I bet it's been been ten years or more since Wesley's been outside the top twenty-five. Uh, and and I think, as I mentioned earlier, Wesley drags Delaware Valley down the same way Thomas Moore boosts Franklin up. The Aggies are in the poll largely because of that week one win over Wesley, certainly not for, for beating Misericordia or Kings. So even though they haven't lost, that's a place where voters have to reevaluate and ask if what looked like a huge one touchdown upset in week one is you know even comparable or more impressive than what Christopher Newport did on Saturday, much less is it top 25 worthy. You know, you asked the same of, of East Texas Baptist, and we all had some, we had to do something on our ballots with Linfield, which ended up as uh, as ninth overall. Yeah, and the spread on Linfield is pretty you know, pretty wide. I think uh, as high as six and as low as 16, something like that uh, on various ballots this week. 
Um, so Keith touched on Thomas More, and that brings up a game we haven't talked a whole lot about yet on this podcast, the one where Thomas More beat W&J by a score of 35 to 9. Around the Nation columnist Adam Turr was there, and he sent us back some audio for our interview segment. First, he's joined by Saints head coach Regis Scaife. You know, I know you're still kind of new to your second year, but there's something special about playing on this field. What is it about this team on this field that they just take it to a new level? It, it's, it's tradition, and then if you're part of the Saints walk, for the game. The fans are absolutely amazing and get our kids so pumped up. It's like everybody here comes to like greet the team. It's just so it's so special. So I think that has a lot to do with our guys. They love it. And, uh, you know, first half, no touchdowns for your offense. Uh, is there any concern or is it the kind of game you were comfortable playing against Washington Jefferson's offense? Well, I don't know if I was comfortable playing against them. I mean, that kid's really good. That quarterback's their team in 87. I thought we did a good job on both of them. But 7-3, I'm happy we're winning. But I'm definitely concerned. You know, we can, we want to be able to score a little bit and keep holding them. You know, they're they're, all, they're a big play team, so we did that. I and mean, we played D really great, and the offense really picked it up the second half. Yeah, I mean, the defense was phenomenal from from the opening kick. Uh, what did you do differently, adjustment-wise, to get the offense rolling in the third quarter like they did? Uh, you know, our, our guys go through. They have a set game plan, and they throw away stuff and add some different formations and wrinkles and, and talk about stuff that they think could work based on what they're doing. So that's basically what it is. We didn't invent new plays or anything. Just kind of, you know, focused on certain things. And uh, you know, for your defense to play the way it did, I mean, this is, this is a pretty special performance against that team. You know, what was it as far as the game plan, as far as the execution that your defense was able to do? To I, shut I think them it was down? both. I mean, you know, we our coaches really prepared, and the kids really prepared. We got them watching more film, and we kind of like noticed some things that they do, and we were able to shut it down with some of the defensive calls that we made for this game. And, you know, they didn't really adjust to it, so that was good. We, we pretty much held them in check, which is kind of amazing. You never think – you always think you can, but to do it is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it's almost perfect 204 yards, I think, to finish with and, you know, one touchdown. And there's a kid, he's been averaging – they've been averaging 600 yards in offense a game. You know, they're, they're really good. And then all the hype that goes into this game for the conference implications, and it's week three. So now how do you get your team to, to – focus on the next seven games because you're far from reaching your goals. I'm going to be a typical coach and one week at a time I'm going to like get down on them, you know, celebrate a little bit with them and then get down on them next week, hard practice got to get refocused because we don't want to let this get away. Uh, here with Chris Norwell, defensive coordinator, Thomas Moore. Uh, you held Washington Jefferson's offense at 204 total yards, only one touchdown today. You know, what was the key to that, the game plan, and then the execution? Well, uh, it definitely started last week in practice. Uh, our guys were prepared on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to come out here and get better. And uh, our guys just took a different approach during the week, and it really paid off. We, we watched film. We prepared as a team because we knew it was going to be a great challenge. So uh, that's something Washington Jefferson, very talented on offense quarterback can do some stuff with his legs throwing the ball number 87 for them is a elite receiver so uh you know we definitely were prepared and that was the key this week and what is the key you know in the execution of the game plan what is the key to taking away and slowing down Pete Cochran you know the, the big thing for us we did a decent job rushing the quarterback and making sure stuff wasn't thrown on time and uh and really our cornerbacks we 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 tested them in practice during the week because they were going to be in a challenge, you know, for the most part of the game. And, and they responded, and that was something awesome to see uh, in the passing game. So one thing that, that both the Thomas Moore coaches mentioned, you know, it kind of sounds like coach speak if, if you're someone who hears cliches or, or if you've, um, 
you know, you never actually been around a team. Is both of them talking about the mood of the team in practice and and the the way they tune in on on a big game week? And it, like I said, it kind of sounds like coaching BS, but it it uh, I think that's actually a, a real thing that makes a difference. Is you know, but if if your team is is locked, I, I, there's just a different mood on, on a big game week. Like you you know. Thomas Moore knows W&J week is not the same as Grove City week. W&J knows it's not the same as, as Geneva week or whatever. You know, like they, the, this is the week the teams lock in and, um, and, and both teams really pay attention. And I bet coaches could tell you probably by like Wednesday or Thursday if their team's going to play well on Saturday just by the way they practice. And again, it's, like, it's one of those things that sounds like coach speak, but I think you know, you can get so much more done when everybody is is in tune and and everybody's not always in tune because we're all human. You know, you're, you're dealing with college kids who've got uh, things on campus that they they that occupy their minds, things in class, uh, things may be going on back home. They're not always 100 percent focused. And it's easy to lose focus when you're a good team and you're confident you're going to win or you're a bad team and you feel like you're going to lose. But those weeks where uh, the, they're, they're the must-win weeks, the weeks that sort of define your season and ultimately define your, your, your college football career. Those are the ones where you almost the coaches really don't have to say anything. They may have to give you an extra hard practice to snap you out of it or snap you into it in, in a week where you, it's going to be a mismatch. But those weeks where it's, a, um, it's the game of the year, as, as Thomas Moore and W and J are, I think those ones, um, you know, both teams are pro- probably – locked in from the from the first time you get back into the facility we uh we had skather talking about uh, kind of the polar opposite of we were talking about with linfield earlier you know when we're talking about linfield how long do you stay down how long do you mourn that loss and, and for scafe it's how long do you stay up how long do you let them celebrate considering that you know there's uh, still uh, seven games and eight weeks of the regular season left yeah i, I got it reminds me of a funny story um or you know it's funny now it wasn't funny then um, there was a week where we had come off a, a, a big win at Randolph-Macon, and then we played Bridgewater. And at the time, Bridgewater wasn't very good. So we, um, you know, that was one of those games where you, you're liable to lose focus. You're like, oh, we're, we're going to be fine this week, you know, Doddle or whatever. So someone came, came out to talk to Coach Riccio at practice. And we were doing, um, they call them Indian runs, where you run around the, the, um, the perimeter of the field and the person in the back of the line runs to the you know, front. So everybody's jogging and then the person in the back has to sprint to the front and you do them again and again. And there's no end because the pers- there's always someone at the back who has to run to the front. So it's over whenever the coach says it's over. Uh-huh. So someone comes out to practice and um, starts talking to him. And he must have either got lost in the conversation or it seemed like at the time he got lost in the conversation. And we kind of find out, found out later that he was purposely just kind of running us to death on, uh, on the, the first day of the week the, you know, before you go back out and pad. So I guess it would be Sunday or, or Sunday or Monday. In any case, uh, he was purposely running us to death to kind of snap us into focus. Like uh, just because you're playing Bridgewater this week doesn't mean you, you, got, you guys can coast. And, and I think a lot of times, as long as it's a conference game, and you have conference title hopes, your, your team should be locked in. Um, but that was a good way to make a statement. And co- what, when Coach Scaife said what he said, it kind of reminded me of that moment where, you know, he may give it to them pretty hard the first couple of days of practice next, next week just to let them know that, you know, you may have beaten W&J, but you're only three weeks into a season, a season that we expect to go beyond 10 games. And thanks to Adam Turr for uh, sending that uh, audio our way. Much appreciated. 
Uh, I'm going to, let's see, moving on. We're going to go with Off the Beaten Path, and uh, I'm going to go Off the Beaten Path for this uh, highlight to a place you and I once beat the path to, and that's Teal College in Greenville, PA, where the Tomcats, they're 2-1 and one for the first time since 2005. Yeah, I know, right. 2-1 and one isn't exactly something that's going to mean you're destined for the record books or anything, but Teal's been through a down decade since making the NCAA playoffs, uh, to say the least. But uh, under new head coach Dan Bloom, uh, who's actually a member of the Larry Karras coaching tree as a member of the Purple Raiders from 2002 to 2005 and an assistant coach for two seasons after that. So Teal defeated Bethany 57-47 on Saturday, and they survived 26 fourth quarter points from Bethany in the process. That sounded like it was a heck of a game. How about a heck of a finish off the beaten path at Lakeland, which uh, rallied from 10 points down with six minutes left. And Richard Michaud, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. And again, didn't do the research. I'm, um, you know, 20 licks for that. Um, uh, Michaud caught a touchdown pass with seven seconds left to give the Muskies a 48-38 victory over Albion. The big surprise there is not so much the Lakeland win. They're 2-0. and They've had a couple of close victories. They beat Carroll by three in week one and then, uh, and then um, you know, won their home opener against Albion in week two. The, the big surprise, though, is that it drops Albion to 0-3. This is a team that beat Stevens Point last year and looked like it could, could begin to make some noise nationally. But the rematch with the Pointers last week was a big blowout, and this week the loss was a heartbreaker. So Albion's in the bucket with Bethel, Hampton, Sydney, and Texas Lutheran as a surprise 0-3 team. Lost a lot off of that team, lost a lot of that offense off of uh, last year's uh, prolific offensive Britain's team. Um, but not the most surprising result, at least not for me. Uh, I want to talk about uh, here the John Carroll Baldwin Wallace game. And while this could go under stat of the week, or maybe stat of the week, perhaps, get the other spelling here, uh, I was indeed surprised at how this game came out. Uh, Blue Streak starting quarterback Anthony Mogan was 11 for 28, passing for 82 yards, and he was the most impressive quarterback in the game. That's because his counterpart, uh, Robbie Plagans was 3 for 15 for 28 yards for Baldwin Wallace in a game John Carroll won 17-10. So John Carroll was picked off four times, which means Baldwin Wallace players caught more John Carroll passes than Baldwin Wallace ones. So I'm just saying it's time to erase whatever circles you had on the OAC schedule at the beginning of the year and go back and uh, now find the Heidelberg Mount Union game, uh, which, uh, by the way, is in Alliance, Ohio on October 8th. You know, the stat of the week joke, I actually, even hearing you say it twice, I still didn't get it until I saw it written down. W-E-A-K. Yeah, Yeah, I got you now. Um, You know, most surprising result, like more surprising than the margin of victory in in Belton and and more surprising than the margin of victory in Crestview Hills. I mean, the the 66-27-35-9 in the big games of the week, those were pretty surprising to begin with. How about Claremont Mudscripts, though, coming cross-country to beat Washington Lee in its flexi what's-it option offense, uh, 31-28. That's a big win for the Stags and also a great cross-conference result for future ranking of mid-tier conferences. I I think that uh, Claremont Mudscripts did not get back until midnight uh, Pacific time on Sunday. In fact, actually, if that's the case, Keith, um, they haven't gotten back yet as as of the time that we're recording this, and it probably will be on the website even before Claremont Mudscripts gets home from uh, from Lexington, Virginia. I don't even know. Does that mean they uh, they bust down to Roanoke or they bust up to Dulles and then, you know, do they get a cross-country flight to LAX? Sounds like they couldn't have if it... Uh, well, anyway, that's a long trip. That's what I'm trying to say. 
Yeah, like, it's about 2,500 miles, something like that. Yeah, that's all. Just uh, another another interesting cross-country, cross-conference result. Uh, my stat of the week, now I feel like I have to say W-E-E-K. All right, uh, I probably won't use that joke again. Um, it's confusing. <laughs> it is a little bit. It's this is a this is an audible medium. Um, so there are currently thirty five teams who are three and zero, and a bunch who are two and zero. So when you're complaining that your three and zero team isn't in the top twenty five, just understand it isn't even mathematically possible for all of you to be in the poll. Uh, heck, remember Keith's alma mater is three and zero. My alma mater is three and zero, and neither of those schools are even getting any votes. Three and zero is a nice start, but that's all you're guaranteed out of it is a nice start. Uh, so yeah, 35 teams at 3-0, 22 more at 2-0. That means one-fourth of all Division Three teams are unbeaten, and that's not even counting the NESCAC, which doesn't start playing until this week. Yeah, and a lot of those uh, 3-0 teams, they're sort of they're 3-0 log jams at the top of conferences, so it's so early that, that none of the teams have even played each other. The ODAC has three 3-0 teams. The, uh, the Empire 8, three 3-0 teams. The uh, Iowa Conference, three 3-0 teams. So you see where I'm going with this? I think I do. Uh, okay. Three times three is oh. So so yeah, I mean you had the Centennial three three and O teams now in the in the case of the Centennial Johns Hopkins plays Juniata Muhlenberg the next couple weeks so that may sort itself out. They may have one undefeated team by the time we get to October second. But uh, it, it's it's early and there's a lot of teams that are off to great starts, but there's still so so many teams that uh you know it's kind of hard for us even as we reevaluate to uh to evaluate which ones are the uh, cream of the crop reevaluate my stats of the week to go along with word of the week and that's w-e-e-k uh p coakland's passer efficiency was 383.8 last week and 89.31 this week i don't know you know exactly how passer efficiency is calculated but that's a pretty big difference uh, 65 points for W and J last week, nine this week, and uh, you know not to pick on W and J exclusively. That's just an amazing swing from week to week. Now St. John's, which has outscored its first three opponents, 133 to 24, could be in line for a similar swing next week as it faces St. Thomas. The Tommies, it appears to me, have given up two touchdowns in the competitive portions of their games, and their three opponents have all been from the mighty Wyack or mighty Mayak. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that game. Uh, I'm also looking forward to being in uh, the other great stadium in Division Three. It's just not the great building, and uh, you know that's what I was trying to get at earlier when I totally did not explain myself at all. Well, and it, and that's a lot like the the Cortland uh, Ithaca rivalry. One has this big giant state school funded stadium, and it's a great place to watch a game. And then the other one has a sort of cute, quaint old place looks out over the the lake. And uh, it's also great in a completely different way. Let's see. We did predictions this week. Uh, we didn't do great on predictions this week. Uh, we've had some pretty good weeks on quick hits. This wasn't our best. Uh, I'm going to talk about the bad ones. Uh, we, can, we can give everyone credit or maybe nobody credit for knowing whether St. Lawrence or Northwestern would give up more points because both teams gave up the uh, same exact amount, zero. Uh, Ohio Northern uh, also, they most decidedly did not bounce back from a noteworthy loss, nor did hampton Sydney. Uh, of course, none of us went to Hawaii. Uh, I'm the only one who went to Belton. Uh, Adam got one correct. He went to. Uh, he did go to Crestview Hills, Kentucky. Um, not that those things are are correct or not correct, but uh, yeah, we, it didn't really turn out to be a game of the week. <laughs> no, that's anyway. true. Neither did neither did mine. That's uh, and and if we'd made it to Hawaii, that game uh, was about a twenty point margin as well. So you know, what are you going to do? They look good 
on uh, on on Friday and Saturday. Uh, by the end of the night, you know, sometimes they're not the game you thought they would be. You'd be eating barbecue at one place or uh, pineapple and mai tais, I guess, at uh, in Hawaii. I'm not sure. The best predictions from Quick Hits. We did get a few things right. And if you check out the website every Friday morning, right? Still Friday morning, Thursday afternoon? Friday morning, we, yeah. Okay, I didn't know if we're getting them up super early. I know I'm turning my picks in a lot earlier than last year. Appreciate that. Um, the best predictions from Quick Hits. Uh, Adam picked Wesley to get upset by Christopher Newport. That was sort of prescient. Uh, I picked Cortland uh, to lose to St. John Fisher, which you know would have been a, a nice pick, but I, I threw in a mention of uh, North Central. Yeah. Because I, I figured it wasn't really fair, and, and Logan Hanson mentioned this as well. It's not really fair, you know. It's not that great of a pick to pick the most likely top twenty-five team to get upset by another team that's also ranked in the top twenty-five. So uh, went out on limb with North Central, whiffed on that one, big time. Uh, there were some other good picks though. The future conference games we spotlighted. Only one of them was a good one, and that was Catholic beating Coast Guard 37-35. Uh, I picked uh, Saint Norbert to bounce back from a key loss. They won fifty to three. Uh, Adam picked Albright, and our guest, as we mentioned, Logan Hansen, he selected John Carroll, even if uh, the margin of victory was a little bit off. So we all managed to pick actual birds, and uh, you have to check out Quick Hits every week to make sense of statements like that, because uh, our picks, we try to have a little fun with them and uh, and not take ourselves too seriously. You can't just ask the same six or seven questions every week, uh, put, us, uh, put us to sleep, let alone the readership. Um, like we did last week, we uh, threw a question or threw a uh, threw things out onto Twitter for uh, you guys to ask us questions for the podcast, and we did get one. So before we go to the lightning round, our, our Twitter question of the week comes from at Wally Wabash, who asks: Mary Harden, Baylor, Linfield is the score representative of the difference between those two, or just a game that went sideways for Linfield? And uh, we did discuss this briefly earlier, and I had the same question myself, so I posed it of Pete Fredenberg after the game. Are you guys really 39 points better than, did I get the math right? Yeah, 39 points better than Linfield? No, I don't think so. You know, I think if we all do it again, you know how that goes. Um, I think that we uh, showed that we were pretty explosive. Uh, I think that we're very explosive on offense, and people are going to really have to deal with that and defensively I was a little disappointed that we didn't get a better pass rush. And of course it's not the lightning round is it? What is it? Your two-minute drill begins now. That's right thanks. Okay starting the clock on two minutes. Uh, let's see so yeah alma mater update that's my alma mater Catholic improved to 3-0 with that 37-35 road win at Coast Guard. That's gonna be a conference game next year with uh, both of those programs in the new Mac, Keith, didn't your alma mater go 3-0 also? They did. They moved to 3-0 with a 34-16 win against Methodist, so that makes the Yellow Jackets special. As you mentioned, 34 other teams are also 3-0, including teams like Bluffton, Co. that we, that we haven't mentioned uh, at all on the podcast. And we should. Um, here's a, uh, just a number that jumped out from, from the uh, top 25 box score a game in Cortland. Uh, 15 penalties in a seven-point loss to St. John Fisher, 124 yards. Uh, those miscues cost Cortland. I'm sure they wish they'd had some of those back, 
And uh, those are the things when the coach says, we'll get it corrected, those are the first things they, they, they go back to practice to get corrected. You're not doing well with this two-minute drill thing. All right. Uh, did you see Dean College in the scores this week? Uh, that's a two-year school moving up to four-year status. And it's looking like they're going to be competitive in the ECFC, which is a, a bad sign for that conference. Uh, a a two-year school moving up, being competitive with one of the conference leaders, it's not a good look, especially with Norwich leaving. Merchant Marine ran it on 71 of 76 plays in a loss to SUNY Maritime and finished with just 17 yards passing. That's not the optimal way to follow up the Secretary's Cup victory. Let's see. One of those other 3-0 teams we haven't mentioned is Dubuque. They picked up win number three with a 41-20 home win against Simpson. Spartans have Luther next week, but then they have a big Iowa Conference test against Central the following weekend. Remember a couple weeks ago where there were a whole bunch of overtime games? This week was the week of shutouts, and it wasn't just Northwestern and St. Lawrence. Rowan, Monmouth, Crown, Case Western Reserve, Central, Mount Union, St. John's, and Framingham State all pitched shutouts or uh, threw shutouts, put up shutouts. I'm trying to not make a baseball cliche. Uh, Ten of them in this day and age of tempo offense and pass interference enforcement. Hooray for defense. Yeah, I'm the one who's supposed to make the baseball jokes on this thing, man. That's right, man. I know. You know what, what do defenses do? Right? They don't pitch shutouts. They... I, we should ask the defensive guy on this podcast what they do. Yeah, they, they snuff out the other team, and it ends up as a shutout. But that's kind of a mouthful. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll 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 send that back to committee and see what we come up with. Uh, all right, yeah, tweet tweet us the the right way to do it. <laughs> there you go, exactly. Uh, coming up next week, uh, let's see. Of course, I briefly mentioned the Tommy Johnny game. That's what's top of mind for me. Uh, not only has this been the highest attended D three game in any given year when it's played up in Collegeville, but uh, this year the stakes are even higher. Uh, St. Thomas comes in at number four. St. John's at number six. Uh, that'll be back to back weeks. I've seen teams rank three. Four, four, five, and six, even though, you know, they won't be when once it's all over. Weather's looking pretty good on the seven-day forecast, too. So while it was like 95 at kickoff at uh, Mary Harden Baylor, it's going to be some somewhere in the 60s uh, with all those people at St. John's. We, You know, Keith, you and I have been to a, a game at St. John's. Uh, it could get to a Tommy Johnny game now that this game has blown up into this massive mass of humanity that it's blown up into. It's It's worth another look. It's also still a wonderful place to see a game. You, you get tired of hearing us say it. It's one of those ones where, where if they say, oh, you know, you should see a great game, St. John's. And you go, oh, so tired of hearing about St. John's. Or, we you know, with but Mountain Union or, or Whitewater. And then you go there and you're like, eh, it's, it's amazing. And, and St. John's really is probably the best place to, to see a game in D3. Some of the other stuff coming up this week. We haven't talked about this game nearly as much as we did last year uh, when it came around, Keith, but uh, Morningside gets its rematch against Wisconsin Whitewater. Remember, uh, Whitewater went down there on a Thursday night in a in a driving rain and uh, and, and beat uh, the NAIA's number one team. It was number one versus number one. Yeah, and it was certainly a kind of a big moment for, for the two uh, divisions to cross over, and, and you got a chance to chat with uh, with Jason about it. And, uh, and watch that game. And it was a close game. This time around, I think, uh, you know, Whitewater is uh, off to its typical good start, but some questions surrounding, uh, uh, you know, who missed the last game and, and uh, whether they'll be kind of at full strength. At least they're, they're at Perkins Stadium for this one. Yeah, Jason Danley and I aren't going to be making that trip together, but uh, at least as of the last poll I have on the NAIA, it's going to be number two versus number two. 
the NAIA poll doesn't come out until uh, later in the day on Monday, so we'll see what, uh, what goes on there. Uh, also coming up this week, uh, a couple of games which should uh, bring us some uh, interesting insight into conference races. Uh, Johns Hopkins is at Muhlenberg. Keith mentioned that uh, earlier on. That's a battle of unbeatens, and uh, you know those two teams have pretty much decided the uh, automatic bid in the Centennial Conference since, I don't know, since some of these players were in grade school. Um, Cortland's at Utica. That's uh, uh, the, is that the, the, uh, let's see, the Cortica jug. Can we, uh, can we dub something like that? Wow. That was, that was, that was a good effort to give you E for effort on that. <laughs> um, it's the reevaluation bowl, right? The clarity, <laughs> the clarity bowl. You just, just that, that, hit the, hit the drinking game. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Buzzwords. That's right. Um, because uh, as we talked about earlier in the rectangle, um, quadrilateral yeah of all those of all those games Cortland and, and Utica playing uh, will certainly give us a uh, a little bit better idea of what we're looking at in the Empire 8 and so will St. John Fisher at Brockport uh, another key game in New York uh, this one in the, in the uh, Liberty League St. Lawrence at RPI uh, St. Lawrence is you know they've been through those three games they haven't given up any points and uh, none of those three teams that they've played has actually won a, a football game this year so they're a combined 0 and 9 and now Heidelberg at John Carroll we can have the we have the John Carroll elimination game or the Heidelberg elimination game. I'm not sure which. Yeah, and that's of course assuming that Mountain Union will will uh, sweep through the OAC for the 25th, sixth year in a row, which how many how many years it's been since '94. Uh, the three-way tie. I think it was '91, wasn't it? John Carroll, Baldwin, Wallace, and wasn't there even a tie in those standings, or were they all just one loss? I, th- I thought '94 was a tie with Baldwin, Wallace. But there's also terrible math from '94 to 20, 2017 <laughs> to say tw- that's like 33 years, right? It's only 2016, and that's only 22 years. We're not that old yet. Uh, whatever. We're yeah, getting right. there. It's We're getting get- late. It is. Uh, before uh, before we wrap up, I, I just wanted to uh, throw out a quick shout out to a, a friend of ours, a longtime friend of uh, D3Football.com and a, a friend of the podcast, uh, and that's Tom Pattison, uh, who's a former uh, broadcaster for Wisconsin Whitewater Football. He has been battling cancer for a while. Uh, used to run a website, uh, a fan website devoted to uh, Whitewater News and had to give that up over the past few years. That He is uh, still fighting as far as I know, so keep up the good fight, Tom. Hope to see you uh, on the sidelines in uh, Whitewater, Wisconsin sometime soon. So, uh, you know, good luck. Uh, and this was Around the Nation podcast number 154 for the week of September 19th, 2016. Thanks for listening and uh, tune in for the rest of our coverage throughout the week, um, including all these great things, which uh, usually I rattle off at this portion of the podcast. But, uh, you know, we're going to get out of here in under an hour. If you like our podcast, you know, again, consider rating it. Leave us a review in your uh, podcast store in iTunes or whatever. That'll help other football fans find it. And thanks for following Division Three Football on D3Football.com. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Thanks to our guests, Joe Smith, Sam Riddle, Pete Fredenberg, Regis Scape, and Chris Norwell for their time on this edition of our show. And, of course, to the originator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. Catch us every week now through December 19th and then monthly in the offseason. And always remember, please, to use the D3FB hashtag on your tweets and Instagram posts and check the scoreboard before tweeting us for a score update. more real it's gritty it's d3 it is 
You don't. So uh, you don't think I should mention they should have read snap judgments or that the play of the week will be out on Monday afternoon or around the region on Tuesday and Wednesday around the nation on Thursday. Well, if you're recording now, then yeah, then yeah, keep those. Keep that. Edit it in. Leave it in. <laughs>